I do not recall distinctly when it began, but it was months ago. The general tension was horrible. To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger, a danger widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing very, very well. How about yourself? Yes, I'm very well too, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to be recording. It feels like we've had a good few episodes recently, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what what we're we talking about today? The astute listener will note the word began in that introduction text I, I read. And we've been talking quite a lot about beginnings and opening hands and mulligans and things like that. So we thought we'd do an episode all about it. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds perfect. So h- how does this tie into to Arkham? Are we doing the first scenario in a campaign? So what I thought we'd do is a little bit of a selection. Listener, we've picked four decks, two that Peter's made and two that I've made. And there are sort of a range of decks, XP and level zero. And the plan is to draw some opening hands and talk about the choices we'd make and maybe talk about first turns as well. Does that fit with what you're expecting? Peter? It does, yeah. You, you've sort of shattered the illusion uh, I was trying to achieve that we, we do this all off the cuff. Um, oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we've not made any planning. Let's just grab four decks and we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah exactly. We'll, we'll do four decks. We'll talk about our thought processes in what we want in the opening hand and then draw some sampling opening hands and, you know, see where we go from there. Yeah, we tried to pick four archetypical decks. So we've well, we'll talk about what decks we've got as we go through. But there's a nice variety there. So hopefully there'll be something you can apply to your own games there, or then maybe tell us where we're wrong because you've got experience of playing the kind of deck. Yeah, and I, I don't want us to get bogged down in loads of caveats, but I think there's one kind of principle that you and I definitely mention to each other a lot off air, but it's worth saying on air, which is that all investigators are individuals. This really came up when we were working on that deck building article for FFG. If you've not read it yet, go and look for us on FFG. But um, yeah, when we were trying to sort of boil down some of these big concepts, like how do you start a scenario or how do you build a deck, you've got to let your individual investigator guide the way. That's that's my kind of my base rule. There aren't necessarily loads of universal rules or for every universal rule, there's going to be an exception that proves the rule depending on who you're playing or things like that. Anyway, we'll try not to spend the whole episode saying, oh yeah, but remember it's investigator-specific, but do remember it's (laughs) investigator-specific. You said it once, that should be enough. Yeah, it is though. (laughs) Who better to prove that than Calvin? Anyway, we're not doing Calvin, that would be a crazy (laughs) opening. So let's begin. For all of these decks, I'll put links in the description. We've not published these decks. They're just behind-the-scenes decks of our own. So if you want to pop it open on your phone now or have a look at it later, we're not going to go through each deck card by card. Peter, maybe you should say a little bit about the scenario we're going to play as well. I, are we doing... We're doing like a blind scenario, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah. So this is a fictional scenario that we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so what we're trying to do is, is keep a general approach. We want to make some notes on a hypothetical scenario where we need to set up quite quickly, for instance, or, you know, if there's lots of movement needed early on or something like that. So we might make some notes about how we might respond in different situations, but generally the scenario we've got, there's no extra weird trickery 
going on at the beginning of the scenario that we know about. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. Spot on. Yeah. Again, we could get bogged down in talking about the specifics, but we're trying to be general while also being universal. Okay, so we're going to start with this Mark Harrigan deck that's uh, it's one that I made, if you want to judge me on my deck making skills. I just played through all of Forgotten Age so far with it, and it's a solo deck. So it's meant to be, broadly speaking, able to kill things, able to heal itself so you can get the most out of Mark's ability, and able to find clues mostly testlessly. That's sort of how it works. It's pretty simple, but I've really enjoyed playing it. Anything you want to say about the deck before I draw our opening hand? No, no, just let dive in. Give me the opening hand. Opening hand. <laughs> uh, Arkham DV getting a bit confused because it's drawn us Sophie, so I'm just going to redraw that. Okay, so we've got a second wind, a flashlight, two copies of Take the Initiative, and a vicious blow. Right, so to me, the one that's jumping out is, is, a, is a definite keeper, is flashlight. Mm-hmm. So typically, scenarios are going to begin with some requirement to get clues, yep. uh, and it's likely to be more immediately urgent than than fighting monsters as mark yes so so put put flashlight on the keep pile Mm -hmm. so that leaves us four that we can possibly mulligan and arkham of course has a really generous mulligan where you can choose how many of your opening hand you want to redraw which which is great and i think one of the points behind us wanting to do this episode is really exploring how much you want to lean into that or not so from the other cards we've got three skilled cards yeah to take the initiative and one vicious blow. So yep. do we potentially lose one of the, the take the initiatives, at least? I think so, yeah. They're good, obviously, for helping us with the mythos phase tests. But we do have uh, Sophie as well, and we haven't taken any damage yet. Yeah, my inclination would be maybe keep one of the two take the initiatives as sort of a willpower boost for the mythos phase. But definitely I wouldn't keep two... And I wouldn't keep two because it seems like such an easy option to try and either get into more event, draw into more events, or draw into some other assets to set up. It's also a very cheap hand. We've got just a two-cost flashlight and the one-cost second wind. So there's there's quite a lot of scope there for, for finding more expensive cards. You know, we're not struggling to pay for what we have in hand. Yeah. Or to find s- some economy. So, so let's come back to Vicious Blow, I think, because that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Should we look at Second Wind in the opening hand? Yes. Now, to me, you've got more experience playing Mark and playing Second Wind than I have. And mm. to me, it seems that it's a tough ask to have healing cards on my opening hand because I haven't taken any damage and it might be a number of turns before I do. That card is just using up space until then. Mark is, of course, always a special case when it comes to healing because he can deal himself damage to draw cards and to uh, get stat boost. Yeah. So it could be a, that could be a nice early game tempo boost. That's exactly the word I had in head in my head, tempo. Yeah. Cuz it's two damage it heals, right? If I play it first action. Yes. So what I could do is attempt to use a boost first turn from Mark's ability and Sophie. They do it second turn and then use possibly the mythos phase and then use this in the second turn. Then I've drawn three cards over two turns for one action and one resource. Yeah. Yeah, and you've healed up the damage that you've taken, so you're ready to do it again. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, in in terms of tempo, I, I think you can kind of... My inclination would be you can cut it one of two ways. Either you can say, I don't need the healing yet, that's something I want to see mid-game. Or you could go, right, I have healing in hand, so I'm going to really aggressively 
kind of lean on using Sophie and damaging myself to pass tests. Mm. It like and that is a case where depending on the scenario that would give you a little bit more insight into do I just need to push on and get clues as quickly as possible or do I hold back? But you're you're exactly right. You could have this sort of power turn where you've cycled through, you smash some tests, you've gained some cards, you've passed whatever hit you in Mythos, and then you're at a point where you've not taken any damage yet, which is sort of absurd. Given that we have the flashlight and the early tests you might be taking and normally getting clues, that would make me err on the side of not taking the second wind in this hand, setting it to one side and seeing if I could draw into it. Well, this is it. We've got to start talking about what isn't in the hand as well as what is in the hand. And getting a a weapon early feels good. Now, if we come back to Vicious Blow, Vicious Blow really has two purposes, I guess. You've got, you know, you can boost up an attack on a turn where you've got to do a lot of damage. Say you've only got a Mm -hmm. single action to kill a three damage enemy. Yeah. Or you just want to save that action. Uh, that you would spend on the second attack. Or potentially you can just use your fists to kill a two health enemy. Yes. Um, yep. Which might save us a little bit in the short term. So if a, if a two health enemy turns up in the first few turns, we could vicious blow it without needing a weapon. Yeah. You're fighting at a six if you commit vicious blow. Yeah. And if you take a damage, you're an eight. So like without a weapon, Mark is still normally pretty reliable about hitting things. So yeah, to me that, that's a bit more of an edge call because if we if we mulligan two cards, we might not get a weapon, mm-hmm. and with vicious blow in our hand, at least we know we can punch something pretty hard. Yes. What's your thinking? Are you thinking we'd mulligan second wind, we'd mulligan one, take the initiative, and then we're just oh I said oh yes I, we... sorry I forgot we had two. Yeah, we could we could certainly do second win, take initiative, and then vicious blow. But I think vicious blow is probably an edge case. I think you could make an argument for not getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weirdly, I think it falls into a similar place as second wind in terms of tempo. You could you could see that in hand and go, great, I've got flashlight for clues. I can pass almost any test with damage, and if I run into an enemy, I've got vicious blow to kind of tide me over. You've even, you've even got to take the initiative to help you evade if needs be, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah. For the purposes of the mulligan, let's mulligan Vicious Blow. We're a more conservative player and we want to get a weapon down as well just to ensure that we're not going to run into any problems with enemies. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mulligan three. And that redraws us into Flashlight, which we had, Take the Initiative, which we had, then an On the Hunt, Elusive, and a Vicious Blow. Okay. Did... Did we do the right thing, Peter? Well, so hang on, just read out what we got again. I, I was listening out for the new cards, but you read all the cards. <laughs> okay, flashlight and take the initiative have stayed, and then it's on the hunt, elusive, and vicious blow. Well, I mean, that's not ideal, to be honest with you. So we got we mulligan the vicious blow and we drew another vicious blow. So you know, mm-hmm. we've got that ability to fight an enemy. It, it's a shame to, in this situation, it was a shame to lose a second wind because then that could have boosted our draw over the first few turns. But, you know, elusive is another yep. way of getting getting past an enemy while we wait. And Mark's always going to have that draw power there inbuilt. What do you think? I think broadly I agree with you. I, I also think it's a very cheap hand, which means that if we wanted to use elusive just as a get-out-of-jail-free card, that's that's fine. Like, we don't have a weapon, but we have Vicious Blow and elusive for getting out of the way. The On the Hunt is a combo card, definitely. You want it when you also want to play Evidence or Scene of the Crime. So that sort of just sits in the hand. This is the kind of hand that I would probably probably want to draw through early on. 
Yeah. So maybe playing playing flashlight using Mark's ability to take a damage and draw another card to kind of see if we could push on a little bit. Again, scenario dependent, but at least Mark is robust enough that he's not too worried about enemies and he has something for clues, which is probably the most important thing for progress. Okay. Well, that was interesting. Say we play the flashlight turn one and take at least one damage to investigate in the first turn. That would, by the end of the turn with upkeep, draw us two more cards. So I'm just going to draw two more. So we would have drawn Scene of the Crime and Unexpected Courage as our further two cards. Yeah, it's a shame to have, although we've got Scene of the Crime and uh, On the Hunt, we've only got a vicious blow for fighting monsters. But, you know, that, that mm. could be enough. He's, we're, as you say, we're at a, a, a five base fight. And even with a single yeah. vicious blow, we're suddenly up at six. Um, so, yeah, we could realistically, in the first few turns, kill an enemy and get a load of clues. Yeah, we've got potentially five clues there, three from the flashlight and, and two from the scene of the crime, if we use it in combination with On the Hunt. Who says uh, Guardians can't find clues? Yeah, yeah. Well, should we look at another deck? Yeah, so this was, the, uh, listener, this was just the first first hand, first look. I think Mark is you've used the word earlier sort of a bit of an archetype i mean he's uh, i feel like this deck is quite distilled that there are it doesn't do very many things and it does them fairly well so yeah it feels like a good example but let's move on to something a bit bit more complicated maybe so i have a level zero ursula deck we'll give this a blast as well so this this is actually the deck i went into the forgotten age with blind and it's doing quite well so far. It's actually got shed loads of experience. This is the one where when I start play, I've got like eight or nine cards in play from the first turn. <laughs> because of all the... Is that called cheating? <laughs> yeah, I just pick pick cards in my deck I want to have in play. <laughs> but this is back at level zero. So I, if I was going back, there'd maybe some, be some stuff I tweaked now. But regardless, should we do the opening hand? Go for it. So I mm-hmm. have Inquiring Mind, Unearth the Ancients, Archaic Glyphs, Shortcut and Tooth of Etsley. Okay, I doesn't agree with that. Acquiring mind, unearth the ancient shortcut, archaic glyphs, and Tooth of Etsley. So, what do you think about that, then, Frank? <laughs> yeah, I um, my first thought is Mulligan all five. <laughs> to be honest with you, Inquiring mind is good for passing a single test, but you want to be in a position where that's going to smash you through a test. Unearth the ancients. You've got a couple of targets potentially to play if you play Unearth the Ancients, but they're not kind of juicy targets, I'd say, getting the tooth down or the, the glyphs. The glyphs is you could save an action investigating, but you'd be spending cards. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. The glyphs is is maybe a keeper. No, this is remember this is level zero glyphs. Yeah, yeah. So it's maybe a keeper if you were if this is the first scenario of the campaign and you're thinking, yes, I'm definitely gonna start working on that. But Personally speaking, my playstyle, I would normally want to make sure I had a bit of a handle on the scenario before I head off down a side quest. It's better to use that when you've already got, that you've gained a bit of tempo already. You're sort of, you're doing yes. well. Um, so it's it's annoying to have in the opening hand. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with yeah. you on, on, on ditch that. I don't mind having an Earthy Ancients and Tooth in the opening hand, to be honest. If I could, um, I don't have higher education at this point, obviously, so moving if if I, would, I could move to a location use an earthy ancients and commit inquiring mind to get a one cost zero action tooth of etsley out mm. you could that's quite a few cards but yeah exactly it's three cards 
I, I suppose my my follow up would be that you don't have any other assets in hand that you want to play. So just playing two for three, if that was the only asset you had, and then moving and investigating maybe sets you up. Yeah. Again, somewhat conservative, but yeah, maybe how I'm feeling. The shortcut is always nice. I think in Ursula, having extra ways of triggering her reaction is good. Again, like your deck is sort of uh, more asset heavy. It's got fifteen assets, so that feeling of wanting to get maybe a bit more set up so you can make the most out of her ability. I imagine just if, if turn one you shortcut so that you get a free investigate, unless you're really guaranteeing that you're getting a clue out of that, it's maybe a little bit frivolous. Is that, is that yeah, fair to yeah, say? Yeah, potentially, yeah. Let's make some decisions. Archaic Glyphs is yes. going. So are, are you saying we should keep Shortcut and Tooth and then ditch everything else? Yes, that's where I'm at. Okay, I could go either way on Unearthly Ancients, to be honest. I quite like having an economy card handy, mm-hmm. just in case, and having it earlier on is better, even if I can't yes. use it in my opening hand. It's, it'd be nice in the first few turns, say, if I draw a Milan in the first few turns, or something reli- you know, something reliable to boost my intellect to be able to, to, to fire it successfully. Uh, but we'll go mm-hmm. with you. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll ditch the three and see what we get. Okay. Okay, so... Ooh. We now, so we still have shortcut and tooth, which is fine. We now also yep. have Doctor Ellie Horowitz, Unearth the Ancients, and Deduction. So okay. it doesn't seem like a bad start at all. For listeners who haven't looked at the deck, there's two Chthonian stones and two tooths. Those are the, the four relics in the deck currently, aren't they? In the level zero version of the deck. Yeah. So if I'm going to play either, I'd probably play Doctor Ellie first to see if I can get a free tooth. And then I have yeah. a, a second tooth in my hand. That's nice. It might grab a stone, which is fine. I probably wouldn't put the stone in the deck in the future. It was just sort of a thematic choice. Um, I think there's probably better relics you could put in. And certainly when Ursula levels up, there's a lot of good cards, like the, the, the compass yes. and um, the statue and all kinds of stuff that fits in there well. Yeah. The map. Jewel, the jewel. of Aureolis, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you want me to see... What what we would draw with the uh, with Ellie if we played her? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So first turn could be potentially well, it, it might be a move in order to trigger a free investigate. Um, use deduction. Yes. Yeah. Play Ellie. I would say is probably not a bad shout on the first turn. It gives us some soak if nothing I, else. I think so too. Yeah. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. So we've drawn this. Two Chthonian stones in there, so we can slap the stone onto Ellie. Mm-hmm. We'll move to a new location and we'll investigate, and that gives us a couple of actions spare. It does, yeah. So you've got to move and playing Ellie, and you've got to free investigate. You could have investigated your location as well, or done an, a second investigate at the location you end up at, depending on how you've got on. Yeah. How do you, Peter, begin to balance? Building a board, as it's often referred to, you know, getting assets in play with making progress with the scenario. This is one of the things we were interested in doing this episode, and it's I find quite hard to actually distill one's thinking. I sometimes hear people say, oh, this is a great hand, and I long to know what's in the hand and makes them so confident that the hand is great. So really, you, you want to prioritise any cards, which you, you should have a hierarchy of cards which improve your ability to do the core thing you want your deck to do. So if if you're mm-hmm. fighting enemy fighting enemies so in the mark deck near the top of that that hierarchy is a weapon. So you almost always want to play a weapon. If you're Ursula, it's the cards that help you move and help you investigate. 
So that's things like Fieldwork and when you've got it, Pathfinder are top tier Ursula cards that improve her core ability a huge amount. They hugely boost your reliability and your ability to gather clues, which is really what you want to be doing. Then you might have other cards which synergize, which, you know, things like Milan, which boosts your intellect and, and helps build your economy. So they're sort of cards you want to look at playing once you've established your core ability or if you can't, if you haven't got those cards to begin with. And then you've got your other cards in your deck, which, which you know, mitigate damage and horror or, you know, boost other stats to help defend against the Mythos deck, that kind of thing. That would sort of be my mm. hierarchy. Obviously, playing economy cards, if it's a drip economy, is better to play earlier. So one of the things we, we talked yes. about on the phone yesterday is imagine if you're in, you know, you're in a, you're an Ursula deck that's got a little bit of experience and your opening hand is, I don't know, an inquiry mind deduction, then a Pathfinder, a Fieldwork and Dr. Milan. So you can spend your first turn playing Milan or Pathfinder and Fieldwork. What, what do you do in that first turn? Mm. And either way, you're essentially going broke or nearly broke, but... Dr. Milan there is going to help you pay for the other things in the long run if you can pass investigate tests. Yeah. But Fieldwork and Pathfinder, although they allow you to get multiple clues each turn, they're naturally not going to pay back and allow you to play Milan any quicker. But potentially, they save you a lot of actions and resources from the very first turn. So you can be moving around. A free move, a free investigate with a plus two every single turn means the leftover actions that you haven't spent doing that, you could just spend taking resources to then pay for Milan and yeah. you're, you're actually not losing out on tempo potentially. Or potentially your first turn is play Milan, move and investigate and you still end up your turn on three resources. Yeah, or play Milan and investigate twice where you are depending on if you have clues. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're Ursula, you might as well move. Almost paid himself back, yeah. Because she, then she can, she can always move back next turn. <laughs> Classic Ursula, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's just all up, just wandering it, around, popping in, yeah. popping out. Okay, so so partly it's, it, it it does feed into what we've talked before about like having a clear idea of what your deck does, and that means if you've decided that you're a generalist who does a bit of everything, planning those opening turns might be a little bit harder. You typically want to react rather than than act. No, is that right? What's there must be a phrase, react rather than plan. I have no idea. You're a words. You're a words man. You you help me out. (laughs) I'm floundering. (laughs) Act, not react. Yeah, I don't know. No, react, not. Are you saying that a a generalist deck is a reactive deck? Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, you you need to understand where the pressures of the scenario are going to be, and where your other investigators in your party, if there are any, are struggling. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, the the trap your trap you don't want to fall into is building a board to the exclusion of everything else especially if there's a pressure from from the scenario that mm-hmm. if if we can if we can hammer home one key message in this episode frank it's that people should be considering not just what they want their deck to do but also what needs to happen in the scenario even if it means sacrificing some of your tempo in order to do that just accept sometimes yes. you're not going to get the resources to play that amazing card you've you've got in your hand especially if it means going broke to do it yeah yeah, it's that it's that case of sort of. Well, I I played Netrunner recently and I remembered this phrase in Netrunner, which is I don't know if this ever came up for you. Look up, which is when you're busy as a runner sitting building your rig happily and not actually paying attention to what the corp is doing on the other side of the table. And Netrunner is one 
mostly, not always, but sort of 98% of the time by the runner forcing an interaction with the corp, which means that they get something. And encouraging new players, once they understand how their own cards work, to actually pay attention to what's going on on the other side of the table. And to use that analogy for Arkham, it means actually looking, going, do we have a short doom threshold? Oh, wow, we need a lot of clues to advance. Or, oh, our first you know, our first ad- advancement threshold is killing something. So we really need our fighters to be on point and get weapons and things like that. It's that idea of broadening your awareness beyond just what's in your hand or just what's on the table in front of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, should we look at... Uh, we've got a couple more decks. Yeah. What's next? This is a, a Finn deck, a Finn Edwards deck. This is a 19 XP deck, and I've played it a few times now. It, I've played it for standalone, a couple of different scenarios, but it's sort of how I'd maybe want to build into Finn if I had my way, and it's definitely a multiplayer deck. That's an important thing to note because it has essentially no damage apart from Finn's trusty 38. So this is not a generalist build. This is Finn evading and getting clues and that's it if you're driving or something like that and you can't look at the link it has lockpicks and lola santiago and then it's also got fence and it's kind of illicit built and it has some deductions in there as well for more clues so it's it's cluey and evadey are you ready for this opening hand yeah hit me with the opening hand opening hand manual dexterity lockpicks you handle this one smuggled goods and take heart that seems like a pretty good opening hand, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's much in there. I, yeah. I'm, I'm desperate to to chuck. I mean, my first thought would be take heart is nice. I, I love that in Finn because he's got that one willpower. And more than any other investigator, you're having turns with him or or, or taking tests with him. And, he's, and you're saying, there's literally no way I can pass this. Yeah. Yeah, And at least with that, you know, you've got a chance to profit from not passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an early economy card if you're being slapped around by the encounter. Yeah. However, you've also got, you handle this one, which dumps a treachery card on someone else, possibly one that you can't pass. So yeah. I feel like those cards are maybe overlapping a bit and, 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 and redundant, one of them's redundant. Mm-hmm. So I'd maybe be tempted to ditch the you handle this one. But the question I've got for you, Frank, if I do, what am I hoping to draw instead? Well, a great question. Thank you. You could be looking to draw something like a deduction or more economy, because at the moment there's not too much apart from the take heart to boost the economy. You could even be looking for something like a fence, because the whole deck revolves around illicit. And with that smuggled goods in hand, that means potentially first action could be play smuggle goods and see if you can hit another illicit card. a payday for instance and that would or a payday yeah setting that up nicely for for payday's illicit so you could find it with the smuggled goods yeah 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 if you want to get the most out of payday you want fence down already so that you get an extra actions yeah yeah yeah, absolutely so so, so what, what you're saying is you use the um we mulligan hoping to see either a payday or a fence and use smuggled goods to find an, an, ah, yeah, 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 to find the other one, yeah. But even if we got, say, a pickpocketing, or you know, something like that, that doesn't feel bad at this stage in mm-hmm. the game. Yeah, um, especially if enemies start popping up. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a defensive hand, isn't it? Between manual dexterity, you handle this one and take heart. There's three cards there that are 
reactive cards and sort of protective cards. But that's, I find Finn often runs like that. You could drop the lockpick, start getting clues, and you sort of know that you're prepared for anything the encounter deck throws at you because you can either evade it or pass it to someone else. So are we doing a super conservative mulligan of just the you handle this one? Yeah, I think that for me, the balance is on, we have everything, we have not a bad hand. Mm-hmm. And to me, the, keeping that and drawing through into the more exciting cards is the the best approach. I think lockpicks is amazing to get in your opening hand. So I want to get that down probably first action because we might need to be getting clues first turn. Um, and we've got a little bit of economy and, into and lock picks is the slow and steady, yeah. isn't it? As well, you want yeah, it, yeah, absolutely, you want yeah, to hit it once a turn. And manual dexterity just plays directly into Finn's core strategy, doesn't it? We don't have any. Is there any stat boosts in this deck? Any static boosts? No. Okay. No. Oh no, it's got Lola in, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got Lola for static boost. It doesn't have any sort of permanence or anything like that. Yeah. 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 So here's an option. What if we mulligan the manual dexterity because we've already got four agility? And we looked, that would give us two chances to hit a fence or a Lola and set up earlier. I mean, my thinking would be manual dexterity. If an enemy comes at the deck first turn, I can nail that, that evade. If I'm hoping to pull Lola later on, then I'm up at five evade at that point. So I'm less likely to need the manual dexterity. That would mm-hmm. be my thinking. Yeah. I, I, I think okay. I'm certainly ditching that you handle this one, but I'll let you decide on the manual dexterity. Let's redraw that see what we'd want to do, and then maybe redraw the manual dexterity, which is obviously cheating, and see if that would have changed things dramatically. <laughs> okay, okay so, so that has redrawn us into a pickpocketing level oh, couldn't two. be better. Yeah. So actually, th- that's worked out well, because we can we can use the manual dexterity on an early evade in order to, to give us a bit of a tempo boost, because the way pickpocketing works, if I succeed by a threshold, two or more, mm-hmm. I get a card and a resource. So that turns an early evade into two cards and a resource for effectively yeah. a free action in Finn. Yeah, it's disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. If listeners who haven't played Finn are going, what the hell? <laughs> that is the case. I turned up and played this deck with a couple of friends who hadn't sort of seen it in action before. And there were points when they wanted to check that I wasn't just cheating because I was doing things and then drawing two cards and getting two resources or things like that. The fun one is always when you're you're, you're begging your friend who's playing Zoe to not kill an enemy so you can evade it before. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so no, 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 seriously. I'll, 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 Think of my family. <laughs> yeah. So if we'd done the manual dexterity, what would be the next card we got? The next card we'd have got would have been a lock picks. Okay, so, well, you know what? I'm vindicated. <laughs> you are vindicated, but I'm actually going to draw another eight cards and imagine that we played Smuggled Goods first action. And within that, our illicit choices would have been that lockpicks and way down deep, a payday. Okay, that's that's not so ideal. Maybe... It'd be nice to see a fence, as you say, but picking up a payday, especially if we get pickpocket down and do an evade in the first couple of turns, because that gives us an extra, ac- an extra resource for payday. Yeah. And the lovely thing about pickpocketing level two is it's fast. So our first turn could be playing smuggle goods, playing lockpicks, getting a clue. And we're still nicely set up that if we draw an enemy, we can play pickpocketing down and evade it. And if we draw a nasty treachery we can't pass, we can commit take heart to it. So that's pretty strong as a kind of opening turns. And this deck is then more or less on its feet that it doesn't need resources for other things until Fence and Lola turn up and then it starts making big bucks. So it's nice. It just it made me think that there's such a difference between having the kind of the headline goal and then how you actually 
start putting that into practice at the table and what you know the decisions are actually micro decisions that might make a difference of where you go and how you how you approach things anyway speaking of complicated micro decisions let's look at our last of the four decks that we picked tell us a little bit about this deck peter so this deck is cleverly called tootle be cool i i realized too late i could have called it toot of etsley <laughs> so so there is certain similarities to my Ursula deck in that it has Ellie Horowitz and Tooth of Etsley in there. Just because I, I like both those cards, I really like the Tooth. Ellie also helps get the Trumpet for Jim as well. This is a deck that I've been playing through Carcosa and uh, I was wanting to experiment with some of the, the, the new Mystic cards we got in, in the Forgotten Age cycle. So it's got Recall the Future in there, hence Tootle Recall. Um, it's a good name. It's a good name, yeah. It, it's a more of a generalist deck. Uh, it's got a little bit, little bit of experience so far. I've got some permanents in there. So I've got Arcane Research, a couple of those. I've got a Charisma and a Relic Hunter so far. I don't have mm. the Relic Hunter. There's not much of a use for it yet, but it's part of the upgrade path for the deck. Um, I want to get the Jewel of Oriolis in there as soon as possible. Potentially the the map as well. And the easiest card yeah, to great. cut at the start was the Rosary. So, yeah. So should we just okay. dive in and draw an opening hand? Or And worth noting that Arcane Research gives you two mental trauma. So there's always something for Jim's Trumpet to heal yeah. from turn one. Yeah. Well, each, each one gives you one. So I've got two mental trauma because I've got two of them. Yeah. But it's uh, so much experience over the course of the campaign. And the Trumpet is so good. <laughs> it's it's hard to pass up, to be honest. Right. Let's, yeah. let's draw yeah. the opening hand. I'm ready. Okay, so, oh, well, this is an interesting one to talk about, actually. We have a Fearless Level 1, a Shriveling Level 0, Tooth of Etsley, a Rite of Seeking, and an Emergency Cash. Okay. So this this is the classic dilemma in a a more generalist Mystic deck, isn't it? Because I've got two of my key Mystic assets in this hand. I've got a Shriveling and a Rite of Seeking. Mm -hmm. I also have another expensive asset, but I do have an Emergency Cash. What do I do, Frank? Help me. Yeah, it's good. So you've got what ten cost in assets there? Is that right? Yeah, seeking shriveling too. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm starting on five resources, and I've got cash, which would put me up to eight. I mean, you could. Well, let's leave fearless and tooth to one side. If you wanted to do the core mystic thing, you could play cash, play shriveling, play right of seeking, and that's you've got clues then, and you've got your shriveling down. You're down to one resource and only two cards in hand. But you're sort of, um, I'm doing air quotes, set up at that point. Yeah. But that, and you're a generalist in a larger party, so they probably appreciate that you can kind of turn your hand to anything. If if that's what the opening line was going to be, I'd be maybe tempted to keep the fearless because you're probably going to be using willpower and you've got horror to yeah. heal. And maybe chuck the tooth with the hope of using Ellie to get it for free down the line or... Quite possibly, The yeah. tooth is the sort of the sticking point there, yeah. where I'm not quite sure. I think in, in most hands, I'd be happy to see the tooth. I think here, uh, it's just sucking up resources. I mean, it, it's every mystic's dream to get their, their two key spell assets in right at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're right. I, th- I think potentially first turn is cash, shrivel, right. Yeah, it's... It's the classic opening play that I'm not fond of, which kind of leaves you hand-starved and resource-starved. But they are the kind of the cornerstones of the deck, aren't they? 
yeah. At, at this point, I'm, I'm also, I think I'm looking around the table to see who else I'm playing with as well, because that mm-hmm. makes a difference. Yeah. If I'm in a party with, I don't know, say, like, you know, Zoe and Mark, um, I don't know why I put shriveling in my deck at all, but, but you know, that might make an impact. If if I know what scenario I'm going into as well, which we've assumed we're not, that's yeah. going to guide this this opening hand. And potentially what I do is I... So so here's here's another thought. We start our first turn, and the thing we haven't talked about is who goes first. Mm-hmm. Because even though you've decided to lead investigator, you don't pick a turn order for the players. Yeah. So this is a classic I'll go last hand for me because I can see how everyone mm. else's turn goes. Uh, I can see what assets they get set up and then I could potentially tailor my turn around that. So if there's something yes. you urgently need to do the first turn, you know, if it's investigate or something like that or, or move to a location or whatever it is, I can maybe do that and then only play one of my spell assets, the one we're going to need more urgently. Probably the shriveling, if if it's, if it's yes. going to be anything. I could even first turn, play the right, and then investigate twice. Yes, I was actually thinking about the right. The other thing you could do is play the cash, play the right, and then investigate once, and you're investigating last action then. So if you draw one of the special tokens, yeah. losing losing an action to it is, is not the end of the world. And right is a little bit like lockpicks, where if you can investigate once per turn and time it right, you can get sort of maximum value. I mean, there are certainly... Scenarios where on Essex County Express, for instance, there's a, I think there's a three eye location, yeah, the, one of the, one of the cars which can come up right at the beginning, and you need to get off there as soon as possible. So something like right yeah. works really so, well there. When we played, it was uh, Heart of the Elders, I think part two. We had a a, a poisonous spore appear on the first location. You need to get <laughs> out of there as soon as possible. So there's there's a few few times where you want to get clues very quickly at the start. And if that's the situation yes. we're in, I can slap down the right and either investigate once or twice, depending. That's exactly the case where looking at the scenario you're playing can inform your line of play so much. I'm tempted for for the purposes of the episode to just draw a completely new hand and do a second do-over because I feel like this hand is fairly well, strong. Well, first of all, let, let's redraw the tooth and see what we end up with and then we'll, we'll do okay. a, a new hand as well. Sure. Okay. Okay, well, interestingly, we got let me handle that. This, sorry. <laughs> For yeah. that, yeah. Which which is fine. It's not massively useful early on in this deck. And it's a shame we also dro- dropped the tooth because it's, there's a nice synergy mm. between those cards in that it gives you a stat boost for treachery cards. And, you know, I can't, there's no surer way to guarantee you don't draw any treachery cards with a test on than playing tooth. So it's always a yeah, second bite yeah. at that. You can see what you get. And then if you don't get something to test, you know, you suck a card off someone else. Mm. Well, the nice thing is if you're set up to shrivel and someone, you know, your seeker draws an enemy. You grab that you enemy. Can yeah, pull it exactly. Over to you. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Should we do another, a new? Yeah, let's do a new hand. Yeah. Oh, I've drawn a uh, final Rhapsody. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, this is a, this is a spicy hand. I've got uh, Recall the Future, Perception. Yeah. Fearless, level zero, delve too deep, and ward of protection. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this, this, all. this yeah. is the flip side. <laughs> well, Mulligan them all, unless you're my friend Matt, yeah. who played two delve too deep on the first turn the other day. Now, that um, is spicy. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think I keep recall the future here. Yes, I think so too. I was being slightly glib. <laughs> I think the fearless does have a target, but until you, but until you have those 
uh, willpower replacement cards down. It's not ideal. Uh, Ward is always nice. Again, scenario specific. Maybe if if I was playing a scenario with ancient evils, I'd keep hold. Yes, of I was going to say, yeah, yeah. If anything um, which can add Dune directly onto the agenda, it's nice to be able to ward it. Or um, with Beyond the Veil. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I mean, depends. I mean, you, you can deal with maybe in this deck. You can deal with with Beyond the Veil because you're not drawing too heavily. But yeah. Okay. Well, well, perception, fearless, delve. Should we should we ditch ward as well? See what happens. Let's ditch ward as well. We'll say we're playing a scenario with no deadly treacheries. Okay, well, actually, this has gone quite well. So our new hand is Recall the Future, Perception, Ellie Horowitz, David Renfield, and Jim's Trumpet. Wow. Okay, so we can't mulligan anymore. There's a real interesting mix of, of, of lines here, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So I've got that boosting with David and Recall the Future got skill mm-hmm. card in perception so i can do some early investigating ellie can maybe grab me so what have i got in here it's just tooth at the moment and the tr- well the trumpet's in mm-hmm. my hand so ellie's probably less crucial although because i haven't got a tooth in my hand there's a chance it's back in my deck yeah yeah a first turn my so- depending on the scenario a first turn david is nice because he's stats and resources mm. my my if i had to pick Two of David, Ellie, Recall the Future, and Jim's Trumpet to play. I think it would be Trumpet and David. Yeah. Get the Trumpet down as soon as possible. Stop healing that horror. Healing that horror. David down as early as possible to make the most out of his resource generation. And he'll then help pay for Recall the Future and Ellie. He'll have, you'll have paid two for him and got one back straight away. So you'll be on, you'll be on three resources at the end of the turn. And then you can tap him again next turn for one or two, and you'd be able to play Ellie. Or if you tap him for two, you'd be able to play Ellie and recall the future the following turn. Yeah, yeah. Notably, what you don't have in this hand is right of seeking or shriveling. That's right. Yes, <laughs> which is which is uh, which is annoying. The, the one of the things about Jim, this deck in particular, it's built to be able to pass tests, sort of regardless of your stats, even if you're at the value or one above the value. So, mm-hmm. although I've got three intellect, I can probably fairly reliably get clues off three shroud locations. So, maybe not a huge amount of action compression there, but you don't have to worry too much about stat boosting. Because mm-hmm. with Recall mm-hmm. the Future, you've made a large number of the tokens, more than 50% of the tokens in the bag are going to be zeros or better. Way more, I think, depending on which, which difficulty you're playing at. Yeah, in which case then, yeah, you, you just coast along passing things. It's a little bit like we talked about in our Jim Investigator-specific episode. The way the bag behaves for him is different. Yeah. And then and then that's that classic reactive behaviour, isn't it? It's if, if, I, if I need to do an investigate check, I can do that if we need an extra clue. If I need to just punch something, even if it's only for one damage, I can probably do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So are there any... Guiding principles here. You you talked slightly about sort of core strategy earlier on. Are there any guiding principles to mulligan choice and then to opening turns? In general? Yeah, that that have maybe come out of this conversation for you. It's interesting thinking about those first two to three turns together with what's going to be the requirements of the scenario. I think that that's the key thing. And maybe sometimes I personally get caught up in play my fun cards 
and seeing a fun card mm. in my hand and being, well, I'll definitely keep in that because I really like it. You have to think about it as a whole. How, how are you going to play these cards? How are you going to pay for them? And how are you going to balance that against what you need to do in those opening turns? Like like you say, it's mm. this principle of mm. looking up at the agenda cards and the act cards, seeing what's yeah. on there. I have the flip side. I have, uh, particularly playing solo, I get sort of asset anxiety where I have a handful of strong cards and I just feel like every turn the encounter deck throws something at me that takes multiple actions to deal with and I never quite get to build my board. So I often find that if you can hit those first turns well, get down a crucial one or two cards, that can be so life-saving for what's to come in terms of how hard some scenarios can hit. Particularly in Forgotten Age, actually, there have been some really punishing scenarios that if you fall behind, it's very hard to kind of claw your way back on top. If we go back to Netrunner, sorry for anyone who hasn't played it, I know we, we frequently use it as an example, but it's a good, it's a good reference point for both of us because we play quite a lot. Mm, you you yeah, know that feeling yeah. you have when you play against Jinteki, like a um, potential unleashed or, or a um, personal evolution, is it? PE? Mm-hmm. That feeling you have when you play against those decks is that the cards in your hand are almost uh, more use as hit points to protect you from damage than they are as playing. And to succeed against those decks, you have to get good at the skill of understanding what you need to play to win and what you need to keep back to stop yourself from losing to damage. Mm-hmm. So for people yeah. who don't know, the way damage works in Netrunner is that it takes cards out of your hand. So at any point, your your hit points are how many cards you've got in your hand. If you if you take damage when you don't have any cards in your hand, then you're flatlined. And that, that's game over. So A win for Yeah, and this, this Jinteki's got this idea of it's like a death by a thousand cuts. It like slices away at you with net damage every so often. And you need, you need cards in your hand to stop yourself from dying. But if you play them all... Obviously, you haven't got any cards in your hand. so Yeah, and there's a, a, a similar but different thing in Arkham, which is that the cards in your hand are also icons to commit to tests. Yeah. And keeping in mind that even the card that seems hugely powerful, like, say, Grotesque Statue, is also still a wild icon for that clutch test that's going to, I don't know, uh, kill off a cultist with four doom on it and save you four yeah. turns. If you've only got one action, maybe you need to play that card to uh, need to commit that card to pass yes. the test. You need to be pragmatic about which of the cards you need to play. Don't have you know, don't be married to the idea of having to play particular cards in your hand because the scenarios can always throw curveballs at you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you've got to commit Milan to a test in the first few turns and you you can't play them, um, and it's crappy when that happens. But you know, you've got to be ready for it. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, the flip side of that as well is that when you've set up well, all of your duplicates become icons then that you use to fuel, you know, your second copy of Milan, if you're not under any pressure of losing him, that's just another intellect icon to help you pass tests to lean into your core strategy. Your second machete is another combat icon to help you pass a combat test to make sure you're still killing things. So in that instance, getting set up well means all the duplicates just can be used for their icons, which is very nice. Great. I hope this was helpful, listener. If there are any immediate things leaping out for you of first turn moments or plays that really you think are vital pieces of knowledge, you can let us know. We're on drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook. And you could also become a patron of this podcast. That's www.patreon.com forward slash drawn to the flame. 
Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Discord and Twitter and on the subreddit occasionally. So say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm FB on Twitter. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And then I'm around the places. Zooey Glass or Zozo. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. So the table might be creaking a bit because Monty's decided to come and sit on the table. <laughs> and he's got this a giant bulk. big fat yeah. bod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>